open the precious Word of God with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Chris, for Psalm 147 and those last two verses. Thank you, Brother Adam, for your prayer. Thank you, Stephen, for leading us in singing. There's so many things I'd like to say, and hopefully we'll get around to them in their proper order. Uh, many things I would like to say to you. The last two verses of Psalm 147 are glorious indeed, of God giving His Scriptures only to some. And us Gentiles are being outside that commonwealth of Israel, and yet getting His Word is a tremendous blessing. I'd love to go to the last words spoken to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. God blessed Shem and cursed Canaan. And there's a son ignored until the next verse. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And that right there is in germ form the Gentile conversions coming in to the Jewish church and having the privilege of those scriptures. So many things to, to say. Here's how we're going to start. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 is describing the salvation uh, by the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His return in glory, which you can find in verses 4 through 9. But at verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into? Which things the angels desire to look into? The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow and the privileges of being the blood-bought sons of God are things the angels desire to look into. They are overwhelmed by the drama that involves us as the objects of God's love. The angels are a huge host. The Bible describes them as 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million and thousands of thousands. And at other times, it simply says they're innumerable. An innumerable company of angels. They crave to know what we know and what I'm sharing with you today. They desire to look into what in the world has Jehovah God, our Creator, done for men. And that's us. This is my little Bible. It's not my smallest. I do have concealed weapons of 66 Magnum variety. I'm talking about the Bible only. The everlasting covenant that Brother Adam just thanked God for and that he's part of it is the master plan for God's dealings with angels and men. I want to make it as simple as possible. There's reasons why I sold most of my library over the last 40 years because they are, the books are a distraction in many senses. I just want Scripture, and I want to keep it simple for you. The everlasting covenant, the one made before the world began for your salvation through Jesus Christ, is the master plan for God's dealings with angels and men. I was going to bring one, and I had one in my office, and I could have asked for some to bring, but I want you to imagine I didn't bring it. I didn't want show and tell quite that far this morning. 
Keep in mind those words quite that far. I was going to bring a blueprint, and I wanted one of those large blueprints, 40 pages. And I wanted to show you the home of my dreams. I wanted to show you an 8,000-square-foot house with eight bedrooms, each one having its own bathroom suite, and there being four guest bathrooms, three stories with two turrets, the yard, the, the driveway perfect, the shrubs perfect, and that is what is shown on the top page of any good blueprint. It's what the house is going to look like at the end. It's the overall plan and scheme. It's the master plan. And as you look at that and lust after it and plan to build this house, you can then lift a page and you can find the main floor with all the rooms laid out. And you can just imagine how beautiful the flow of traffic's going to be and how you're going to be able to entertain in this home. And then there's a stairway and you can flip another page and there's another level to this three-story mansion. And it's all the rooms laid out and the doors, where you enter and where the closets are and each, each bedroom has its own bathroom. I know that some of you would enjoy that. And that's how houses ought to be built in America because now we can afford the square footage. But you can turn those pages and find the floor plan for each of those three stories of the house that's on the front top, the house that's on the top page, the one that you just look at and say, that is beautiful. The curb appeal is fantastic. Anyone driving by that house it's going to shout. It's so beautiful. Then you flip past those three pages for the three floors and you get into more details of what has to come together for that house to stand and take a storm and provide security and heat and water and hot water and all the other things that a house is supposed to have. And it's, it may be 40 pages long. And you can work yourself all the way down to where there's every six foot on every wall an electrical outlet. But every piece is there. Every piece that God wants us to know about at this point is right here. The everlasting covenant is the master plan. You look at this thing laid out on the table for you. A, a blueprint is very large. And so you lay this thing out and you look at it. That's the everlasting covenant. Everything in the universe serves that covenant. Everything in the universe serves that top page. All the other pages beneath it are going to greater and greater depths of detail about that everlasting covenant. Well, for right now, I'm through with this little thing. I want to lay out my blueprint. So I have a bigger one. I hope the pulpit can bear it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the angels desire to look into these things. When you open the Bible, what does it mean to you? The brother that led you in a psalm said that in the last two verses are the most important thing for which God should be praised among those listed in the previous 18 verses. Do you believe that about the Bible? Do you look at the Bible as this master plan, this blueprint of God's everlasting covenant with all the other covenants underneath it serving it? Do you remember the seven covenants I've given you to remember as your first exercise of memory about the covenants? There's the everlasting covenant, then the Adamic covenant, that's Adam, the Noahic covenant, that's Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, that's Abraham, the Davidic covenant, that's David, and we're already up to five, and we have the old covenant of Mount Sinai and Moses, and we have the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles. And there's more, but those are the seven for you to have something to work with in your mind. So when I look at that top one, and it's called the everlasting covenant, and everything else serves it, and I flip and I see the Adamic covenant. Oh yeah, we needed the Adamic covenant for the top one to have its value and its beauty. And you keep flipping in the, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, Moses at Mount Sinai, and we don't want to run there for help, as we sang recently. And you keep flipping, you find the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you can get into books and verses and passages and phrases where you are shown the details of the everlasting covenant. You are told who was involved in it who the beneficiaries were, when it occurred, who the what the conditions are, who's going to perform the conditions, 
how sure is it, and so forth and so on. That's what we're going to do today, and we'll go from that as far as we can. But I want you to think of your Bible and this everlasting covenant as the top page of the most beautiful drama ever conceived or imagined in the universe because it is the infinite mind of God that came up with it in his eternal counsel and purposed all things according to it. The angels desire to look into these things. The angels dwell in incredible glory and majesty without sin in perfect light in the presence of God for the entirety of their existence, the elect angels. They desire to look into these things. They know that the, the master plan of the everlasting covenant is to take us that are made below the angels and make us greater than the angels by making us the sons of God. And they desire to look into these things. They will be our servants. God's master plan for His glory and praise was to elect some angels by preserving them in their original holiness and to damn other angels for their sins and then to do the same with men for their sins. For the sake of the doubtful, the ignorant, or the foolish, God has never forced any creature to sin and He cannot do so. God's creative design for a drama exalting His incarnate Son is beyond imagination. As I told you a few minutes ago, the messenger of the covenant even needed a messenger for himself. Jesus Christ needed John the Baptist to come and prepare a people for his announcement. The universe exists for this master plan of the everlasting covenant, and God has revealed phases and aspects and details of this covenant through time. And thank the Lord for progressive revelation, because that means we have the most given to us that's ever been given to any man in the history of the world, just by our location on the timeline. It takes the power of the Spirit of God to fully show us and convince us of the things of the everlasting covenant. Every single detail of eternity and time are all according to this master plan of God. Every single event in your life, especially negative ones, He's able to work together and coordinate for your good, as I tried to explain to you in the preparatory email yesterday, by questions. Angels want to know more about it, but it is truly for us. The everlasting covenant is most of all for us, though it involves the angels as our servants. For they knew, they know, the angels know there was no Redeemer planned for them, and they're to be our servants. <clears throat> Brethren, by this everlasting covenant, we are the adopted sons of God. We are the inner circle around God's throne. We are the members of His Son's body. We are the stones in Jehovah's temple. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. We are capable of being filled with all the fullness of God, with the angels as our servants. Now, how does that curb appeal affect you? That is the everlasting covenant. And that is the top page. And as we look at these covenants, we're just going into deep, deeper to see the pieces that the Lord put together for the revelation of the everlasting covenant, for the administration of different forms of worship from the beginning until now, and for us to know what He expects of us in this particular period of time of His dealings with His elect. The everlasting covenant has beneficiaries' names written in heaven's book of life. The Bible is the blueprint fully sufficient to build your faith, hope, and knowledge of this everlasting covenant. So enjoy your blueprint. Does it move you when you open it? When you open its pages and realize you're looking at the dream house, in my Father's house are many mansions. David said, I'm going to build you a house. And the Lord said, I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to build you one. So my use of a house as an illustration has its application with Scripture. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You ought to be moved by it. 
I never call up tears to be your pastor. But I cried preaching what I just said to you to my wife in the kitchen yesterday. The Lord's in charge of tears when they're sincere. I don't call them up for you or anyone else. He'll give them to me. But I hope that you rejoice in the everlasting covenant in the Bible that you have and all that it says He's done for you. My brethren, what if the President of the United States were to send you an email soliciting funds saying that he's going to be looking for your name on a list that's going to be given to him by his son. Would that excite you? I get that every day. Sorry, it shouldn't excite you very much. What if the President of the United States sent his lawyers and they arrived at your house with a signed covenant for you and your family to be perpetually tax-exempt and a certified deed to Camp David? Okay, now we can get excited that we have a vacation home in Maryland and that your family tree is not going to have to pay any taxes. What if Jeff Bezos, what if, what if, what if, all the what if games in the world cannot approach this study of God's covenants nor even come close? A house in Camp David, do you know what the maintenance bill would be on that thing? You'd want, you'd want to add a PS to his deed. And the U.S. government will pay for all maintenance, all insurance, and all other aspects of this house. Because you wouldn't be able to afford living in it, even if it was given to you freely. But everything that we have by the divine everlasting covenant is by free grace. Free and sovereign grace given to us as a gift. It's, a diff it's got different content than any covenant of earth. Because any earthly privileges are far inferior to eternal life in heaven above. Amen. It's got different certainty. The faithful God that cannot lie added an oath to it, so it's better than any deed that could ever be given in this nation. Amen. It's got different commitment. God gave His only Son and subjected Him to torture and murder to put this covenant into force. It's got different conditions, and God required His Son to fulfill all of them. It's got different concord agreement or unity, because we are perfectly united forever to Almighty God and His Son in this everlasting covenant. It's got a different conclusion. Death wildly enhances all aspects of the everlasting covenant rather than ending all aspects of every other covenant. Till death do us part. How do we say that relative to the everlasting covenant? Till death do us start. It's got different consequences. His son paid for all errors rather than eternal hell to pay. We deserve eternal hell. But the Lord Jesus Christ paid for all our errors so that we don't have to pay for them. He paid instead of us paying. It's got different charges. The charge of the everlasting covenant is for us to love God and love the others that God has loved in His election and to experience the fullest joy by His power. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. How, how terrible does that sound as the charge given by the everlasting covenant? The Creator God engaged in a contract with promises and terms for us in the everlasting covenant. Be thinking about your blueprint that He's given you. Glory to God. Amen. Do you remember the seven covenants? Mary Grace, Everlasting, Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, Old Testament with Moses, and the New Testament with Jesus. There's seven to get you started. But the big one's the first one, the Everlasting Covenant. It covers everything from eternity past to eternity future. I have loved you with an everlasting love. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, and we are thine. From everlasting to everlasting, we're elect, we're elect in Christ Jesus our Lord because He chose us in Him before the world began. God's covenants from the Bible have primary concern with only some of humanity, just like with the angels. 
Some of the angels God has reserved in chains of everlasting darkness unto the judgment of the great day and the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. No redeemer was provided. No second chance for those angels. The other angels are called the elect angels because God chose them and preserved them in the holiness in which they were created. So they are called the holy angels and the elect angels in the Bible. And because of that great difference between them and us, they desire to look into these things as to why God would save us. If all of us got together right now and took a couple of hours as focused as we possibly could be, could we accomplish enough mentally in two hours to equal one second of an angel? No. How about physically? How much can an angel deadlift? As we heard a little while ago, they desire to look into these things. Why does God care about us? Do you know how fast it took one of them to deceive our first mother? How long do we want to give her? The 17 seconds it takes to read Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And yet God saved us in His everlasting covenant. God's covenants deal with only some of humanity. His covenant people are the apple of His eye and most important throughout world history. You can trace them. I gave you a chart last night that I hope you will consider. I hope you will print it on a colored printer and put it on your refrigerator and think about it. It's got one-third of the entire earth's history in it, and it's got a line of the covenant people of Almighty God. There are some of the neatest verses in the Bible. Why don't you turn in your blueprint to Genesis chapter 10 and let us look at a few of those verses. And I have turned this series over to the Lord, and if it takes longer than I originally planned, then so be it. I want you to have things that excite your soul to live more perfectly for the Lord Jesus Christ. This big blueprint up here on the pulpit's hard to handle, but we'll get used to it. His covenant people are the apple of his eye. Cain killed Abel. Is that the last time we ever hear about Abel? Or is Abel mentioned throughout the pages of Scripture? Oh, yes, he is. Did God give a replacement for Abel? Yes, he did. And his name was Seth. At the time of the flood, only eight souls were saved. Noah and his small family. At the time of the flood, God was angry that his sons would marry worldly girls. For every boy that is sitting here and every girl that is sitting here, if you believe anything about God in the Bible, you will never marry an unbeliever, which means you will never date an unbeliever, which means you will never talk to an unbeliever in any friendly or romantic way. You'll stay away from them because they can only get you into trouble. Even in Noah's time, Shem is listed first, though Japheth was older. Look at Genesis 10, 21. I want the second half of the verse. Because the first half is just very confusing. But don't look at it yet, men. Go to the second half with me, please. The brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. Japheth was older than Shem. Never forget when you're reading in the Bible. Never forget when you're reading in the Bible that God does not put the children in birth order. He puts them in covenant order so that Abraham is listed first, though he wasn't born first. Shem is listed first, though he wasn't born first. How do we say the three sons of Noah? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. No, no, no. That's not how they were born. We put Shem first because the Bible puts Shem first because Shem is more important. Because through Shem would come the Lord Jesus Christ, the messenger of the covenant. And that happens over and over in the Bible. I know what you say if I were to ask you the two sons of Isaac and Rebekah. You'd say Jacob and Esau. 
Well, why do you say Jacob and Esau? Esau was born first. Who was born first? Perez or Zerah? <laughs> Zerah stuck his hand out first and got a thread, a red, thre a scarlet thread tied around it, as I showed you on Wednesday evening. Pulled back in. Perez pushed him out of the way and crawled through. For all of you women in childbirth, I just like reading about it and talking about it. Genesis ten twenty one, the brother of Japheth Shem is the brother of Japheth the elder. Japheth is older than Shem, but we say Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now let's go with the first part of that verse. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber. Why in the world does God want to go down to great-great-grandson named Eber when describing Shem? Because all that matters to him are the coming Hebrews that are represented by Eber, the great-great-great-grandfather of Abraham. And so when it speaks about Shem, it leaps to Eber. And then, because that's Abraham's father of the Hebrews. It's, you got to read your Bibles carefully. Read your Bibles carefully. You don't need to read 10 chapters a day. If you read 10 chapters a day, you won't know anything that the Bible says to you. You need to slow down and look at Genesis 10, 21 and know how much truth is in there about the covenant. There's two important facts about the covenant. Japheth was older than Shem, but Shem is listed first because Shem is the primary covenant son through which Abraham and David and then Jesus, of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth will come. And then why does it say in the first half, the father of all the children of Eber? Well, what about the fathers before of Eber? You know, Shem was the father of Arphaxad, and Arphaxad was the father of Selah. And Selah was the father of Eber. Why does it say Shem, the father of Eber? Because it's identifying the line of the covenant. In Terah's family, Abram is listed first, though younger than the others, in Genesis eleven twenty six. 26. Do you understand? When it says he lived 70 and begat, he didn't begat Abram. He begat the others. In Genesis eleven twenty six, in Abraham's family, Isaac is listed first. It says Isaac and Ishmael. In First Chronicles chapter one and verse twenty eight, though Ishmael was fourteen years older than Isaac, because Isaac was the son of promise, who was far more important than the son of the bondwoman. In Isaac's family, God chose the younger twin of Jacob and clearly noted it in Romans chapter nine that the young that the elder shall serve the younger, and he made particular note of it. And I, that's in Romans chapter 9, and you read that last evening about God looking at those two sons in their mother's womb before either one of them had done any good or evil. He chose Jacob the younger to be the promised son through which the blessings of Jesus Christ would come. God promised, made his covenant with Abraham and his seed, Isaac and his seed, Jacob and his seed. I hope that you noticed on Wednesday evening when I showed you about Perez and Zerah, that in Matthew chapter 1, the Lord listed both twins, which seems kind of unnecessary since Zerah wasn't even needed for the listing of the genealogy, but the Lord wanted both of them there for your benefit to know that there were two twins and he chose one that the midwife didn't choose. And that's the way God has been for 6,000 years and we should thank God and you should thank God that you are here this morning and that you care and that you brought a blueprint of this master plan of the everlasting covenant and that you believe it and that you're with other people that believe it who can encourage you in the faith of God's elect who promised eternal life before the world began. That's, it's called the faith of God's elect in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God overruled Abraham's love of Ishmael. Do you know what Abraham said to God about covenant promises to him? Oh Lord, may Ishmael stand before thee. God overruled it. Don't you let your affection of your children overrule God's affection for his. God has his promised seed and God has his elect children in every family. God overruled Isaac's greater love of Esau. Which of the two twins did Isaac love the most, Jacob or Esau? 
Jacob was a little mommy's boy that knitted, yarned, and played chess, while Esau was a mighty hunter before the Lord. I wasn't making fun of any of those things, necessarily if you're a girl. Esau was a mighty hunter. It's in the Bible. The Lord had to overrule Isaac. The Lord had to overrule Joseph's affection from Manasseh. Do you remember? Joseph had two sons. He brought them to Jacob, his father, for blessing. And the old man was blind. And so Jacob maneuvered Manasseh. Joseph maneuvered Manasseh for Jacob to give his blessing. And Jacob switched his hands over on the two sons and blessed Ephraim. This is the everlasting covenant. And that you were picked by birth, by election, by sovereign grace, by his mercy, by conversion, by excitement today, by conviction, by commitment to the cause of Christ. Praise the Lord. Some of you he plucked out of families. I look at you and I know about your siblings. And I thank the Lord with you and for you. Who did Jesse love of his sons? The first seven. Absolutely. The notes say Eliab and the next six. And he thought that's all he had. He forgot about David. But the Lord never forgot about David. David was so important to God in the pages of Scripture. Never forget these blessings of the everlasting covenant. Samuel's there in Bethlehem to anoint the next king to replace Saul and that whole family and that whole tribe is thrown away as far as God's covenant dealings to come through Judah, which had been prophesied in Genesis 49, many years before. Started with Eliab, surely the Lord's anointed is before me, because Eliab was one stud. Then Shimei and the others were brought. No, 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 no. Are you sure you don't have another one? Oh, yeah. The little guy that's out in the woods keeping the sheep? Well, bring him in here, because I can't leave until we find the right one. It's just... This is the everlasting covenant. Did David like the everlasting covenant? Have I preached that verse enough to this church that you know that he said that it is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow, and that my family is one big, great, gigantic mess? But I don't really care in the big scheme of things because I have this everlasting covenant with God, ordered in all things and sure. And what did David want to spend the rest of his life doing? Building God a house. He looked at the everlasting covenant and said, this God deserves something better than that little tent that Moses made him. I'm going to build him a palace, and it is going to have to be exceeding magnificent because the palace is for God, not for man. He wanted to outdo what any king had ever lived in in his life. And so he gathered with all his might until he died. That's the effect it should have on each one of us. We should want to build up the house of God, which is the local church, in our administration of the everlasting covenant. Who did David love? Absalom. Who else did David love? Adonijah. Who did God love and named him Jedidiah? Solomon. Only nations bearing on Israel are given any space in the Bible, as I've taught you before. Like our God's care of the widow of Sarepta. Remember, Elijah went to the widow of Sarepta. Though there were many widows in Israel, and Elisha went to Naaman the Syrian, though there were many lepers in Israel. Think about that God and those choices. And that's what Jesus chose as his text and his, his lesson when he preached in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Doesn't that make you think of the Ethiopian eunuch? Did God find that Ethiopian eunuch? Remember what Isaiah said about that poor Ethiopian eunuch who said, I'm just a dry tree and God will never have anything to do with me and my, I'm going to be cut off? Listen, there's more people read about the Ethiopian eunuch 
than just about anybody. Far more people have read about the Ethiopian eunuch than they've ever read about George Washington. The Ethiopian eunuch is huge in world history because he takes up half of Acts chapter 8. How about the Philippian jailer? How about Cornelius the centurion? We can even get an Italian in there. How about Onesimus the servant? Isn't that wonderful? They're all in there because God has his covenant people and they are the apple of his eye. Covenants, you know what covenants are. I've written you enough about them. They are contracts, compacts, or rules for how two people or two parties are going to relate to each other and what's expected of each and what's going to be promised to transfer to parties upon performance of certain conditions or no conditions at all, then it becomes a promise. The no more flood, is that a conditional promise? Noah, if you and your children will not use too much water and preserve the H2O supplies of earth, I will not send a flood. Noah, if you and your children will sacrifice three times a day, I will not send a flood. If you and your children will not sin, I will not send another flood. No, it is an unconditional promise by God. There will be no more flood. I will never do this again to earth with water. And then he puts a rainbow up there. Do we have to do something to get the rainbow? No, God gives us the rainbow. It's an unconditional promise. The everlasting covenant is an unconditional promise. It's an unconditional covenant. And so was Noah's promise from God that there wouldn't be another flood. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. As we look into our blueprint to learn everything we can about God's covenants. And I have given this to you before, but I want to give it to you again. Galatians chapter 3 to show you the nature of a covenant. That word covenant, a contract, a compact, an agreement, a testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Even when two men make a covenant, like a mortgage covenant, when they borrow money from a bank for a house, and there's lots of signatures, so that it is confirmed by seller, financer, borrower, buyer, owner. I mean, it's all signed, sealed, and delivered. Now it's, uh, you know, it used to be this thick, and then it got this thick, and who knows? Maybe now it needs a hand truck to be able to sign the paperwork to confirm it. But the Bible says, though I speak as a man, and I'm just using pure, natural terms of description of a covenant, once it's confirmed and signed, it stands up in court. It stands up. It tells who the owner is. It tells how much needs to be paid. It tells when that payment will end. It tells the rate of interest. It tells who's going to pay the taxes, who's responsible for the insurance, and so forth and so on. And we have an everlasting covenant with God. And the Apostle Paul used a mortgage or any other covenant between men to get your attention that the everlasting covenant written in heaven with the beneficiaries written down and sealed and signed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the yea and the amen of God's covenants, is in force. And nothing can alter it. Nothing can alter it. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen. To what? To the glory of God by us. There's so many verses I, I want to share with you. When a testator dies, what happens? His last will and testament goes into force because he's dead. The Bible says when a man writes a will and he's still living, the it's just a piece of paper. But when he dies, that piece of paper goes into force. And Jesus Christ died, and God's everlasting covenant went into force as far as an official, legal, formal way. It was always enforced by God's eternal counsel, because when God purposed to do something in his eternal counsel, it's as good as done, except for the actual payment of the price through Jesus Christ, so that he can use past tense verbs, and the, and the Bible would tell us in very specific languages dealing with the Abrahamic covenant, he can call those things which be not as though they were. And, he, and Paul can write that for whom he justified, them he also glorified, past tense, because it's purposed in, the, in God's eternal counsel, it's going to happen. But then there is an actual 
event of it happening for us. But the intention of God already makes it powerfully strong and cannot be overthrown because God is immutable and doesn't change. Everybody we know changes. Let me restate a few facts about the covenant. God made a covenant in His own eternal counsel for His Son to save all elect sinners. I'm just going to reel off a few facts about the everlasting covenant. This covenant is the basis for the universe with the names of all God's elect written in it. This covenant is the only way any sinner is saved. It underlies all other covenants. Each revealed detail in the Bible serves this covenant, though we may not see it clearly unless we study carefully. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the terms of the covenant for us, so it is unconditional to us. Covenants with men are covenants with men from God to men are administrations, revelations, or ancillary covenants to the everlasting covenant. The covenants, other than given to Adam, are not for salvation by human conditions. Adam had a covenant of works given to him, and he chose to go against God. They rather reveal eternal salvation, the other covenants, and administer worship of God at various times in human history, from the patriarchs to under Moses to the present of the New Testament. Covenants have progressive revelation from fleshly obscurity to spiritual plainness. The Holy Spirit is covenant earnest and seal. His presence in us. Incredible. God with us. God in us. Is the, is the sign sealed, symbolic, proof, earnest, performance bond of God's everlasting covenant. Him with us. So that when you go back in the pages of the Bible and you find Enoch walking with God a few verses after Adam was thrown out of Edom, Eden, something is going on. Something wonderful is going on. Adam is thrown out of Eden and flaming cherubim keep the way of the tree of life. Adam doesn't like God. God's unhappy with Adam. Adam hides in the trees of the woods, of the garden. And yet there's this man, Enoch, who walked with God. And God enjoyed him so much, he just took him home so he wouldn't be so far away after 365 years. Those little things, because Enoch was God's. Enoch is in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. Enoch was the Lord's. The Lord had his covenant people all the way down through. Everything you read, you should be thinking about the everlasting covenant. How did Enoch have this relationship with God when God didn't want such a relationship with Adam and Adam didn't want it with God, but Enoch enjoyed it with God and God enjoyed it with Enoch? How did that happen? By the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant. What is it? It's God's holy design, assignment, preparation, and guarantee to save all the elect. It is the whole work of eternal life from the design or contrivance of it to final consummation and eternal glory. It's everything in between. It's everything on both ends. It's everything God's going to do. His everlasting covenant for the existence of the universe, for the judgment of some for their sins, for the salvation of others for the mercy of God, and both of them for His abundant wisdom that the angels and principalities and powers in heavenly places would be awed by His wisdom in the design of covenant salvation for the elect and covenant damnation of the reprobates. So that the angels desire to look into these things. So we've got wrath and power. This is all from last, this is from last Sunday. We've got wrath and power that God wants to reveal in the vessels of wrath, the vessels of dishonor, but we've got mercy and grace that he wants to reveal in the vessels of honor or the vessels of mercy, and then both of those are done with abundant wisdom. Abundant wisdom that the angels want to see because it overwhelms them. And that's in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, and 1 Peter 1, and verse 12 that I shared with you already. Who are the parties or persons to the everlasting covenant to guarantee our eternal life? God entered into covenant with Himself. God entered into covenant with Himself to save certain men in the ages to come, when they would be born on earth. We read that last week from Ephesians chapter 1, carefully going through verses 3 through 14 and seeing all the references to the good pleasure of His will, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. It's in His own will. He determined in, the, in, in His determinate counsel. 
He determined certain things based on his foreknowledge of what would take place and of people that he foreknew in affection and love for them. It's all in the purpose and mind of God. There was no angels observing. There were no men observing. It was only God in himself. He was independently happy, but he chose that he was going to create rational creatures and deal with them a certain way by the everlasting covenant to display, to display his perfections to rational creatures. To see, what, to see if he could impress rational creatures. And so that's what he's still up to. He's impressing the angels, and he's impressing us. And if you're with me, he's impressing us right now. We look at a verse like Genesis 10, 21, and we see Shem related to Eber, and we say, what happened to our Faxad and Selah? Well, they don't count for this particular statement because it's God's covenant people. We see Abram mentioned after 70 years of Terah's life, and we think Abram must have been born when Terah was 70. But we know better because Abram was born last. Because, but he puts Abram first because he's God's covenant child. And we read this everywhere we go in the Bible. Everywhere we go in the Bible, we look for the everlasting covenant underneath it because every detail in the Bible is serving that everlasting covenant. World history, the only nation God cared about was the smallest nation on earth. The only reason any other nation was ever mentioned in the Old Testament is because they had a border with Israel or they had dealings with Israel or they weren't mentioned. I get written and asked, where is the United States in prophecy? And I love to write them back, are you kidding me? There is no reason that the United States would be mentioned in prophecy. It's way too small and way too late. Now we know that in general it's there as a great nation of Gentiles that have furthered the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's counsel and God's determinate counsel. Look at Luke. We'll go to look at Luke chapter 22. Just an example. They're, they're throughout the pages of Scripture. Did I warn you in the beginning of this series that if I was not careful or you are not careful when it comes to studying the covenants, you will have to study the whole Bible? Do, do you remember me saying that? I promise you that's the truth. When Adam and Eve tried fig leaves, and God said, no, and made them coats of skins, do you see the everlasting covenant or not? I'm not saying Adam and Eve were part of the everlasting covenant. I'm just saying there was a little tip-off right off the bat. There was blood shed and life given to cover even ceremonially for the approval of God, right off the bat. Then Adam, I mean, Abel, what, is, what does Abel bring? Instead of the fruit of the ground, Abel brings a blood offering and a sacrifice. Everywhere you look, you see the tree of life, and you wonder about the tree of life. Well, you won't have to wonder about it soon. You'll be eating from the tree of life because the tree of life is in heaven everywhere you turn. Every woman every month should remember Genesis chapter 3. And that what God cursed becomes the curse of the devil. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. On and on. Here's Luke 22, verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. In the middle of verse 22, as it was determined, there's the everlasting covenant of God. In the great drama of his son coming into this world, and there being a betrayer of the Son of God in his own company to fulfill Scripture, as it was determined, as it was determined, God has never done anything in time that he didn't determine in eternity. He says that in Acts 15, 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. 
because he's an intelligent being, and intelligent beings have plans for the things they do, especially things that they originate and create themselves. He had a purpose in all of it, and we are, we are the stars of the drama. And it's not any goodness in us, and we all know that, don't we? Do we all know that it's no goodness in us? It's all goodness in him? So that Jesus Christ would look at God choosing the harlots and the publicans as an audience that loved the things Jesus preached and the seminary graduates hating it, and he would say, even so because it seemed good in thy sight. It's good in God's sight for the choices he made. It's not because he saw good in us. He didn't see. There is none good. No, not one. But he's made us good, and then he oversees our lives to make sure everything works together for our good. Everything is good. And if you really get into Romans chapter 8 and the verses 29 through 39 that end that chapter, it's tremendous, it's, it's outstanding good because it's all about election, predestination, calling, justification, and eternity in heaven with Christ. And nothing can separate us from him. This is the everlasting covenant. You hold in your hands a blueprint. There are people that have spent hours. There are people that have spent weeks. There are people that have spent months and years having houses built and building their houses. I give you a blueprint for a different kind of a house, and it's the house of God in heaven, and it's the family of God. And if you'll get below the... First of all, I want you to love the curb appeal of the everlasting covenant. Then you can dip down and find out how all the other covenants serve it and how the events of the Bible serve it, and that God in mercy has included our lives in it, your life and mine, by his grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please stand with me.